Okay, welcome to a very special episode of Multiple Nerdgasm. I'm here with my wife Hannah again. Hello. And we're here to discuss packs. We just got back and we are still exhausted. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Alright. I lie, we didn't just get back, this is the day after we got back because we were exhausted and just couldn't record when we got home. And also because Luke made big promises to Jenna, so as is tradition, he instantly broke them. That's what I do. Now, so we'll start off. What did you think of PAX? Because uh, you didn't go last year. No, I didn't. Okay, so this is my first PAX in two years, my third PAX overall, and Honestly, I don't quite think I am the target market for PAX. I will be honest about that. Okay, so for those of you who may not know, PAX is the Penny Arcade Expo. I think there's, what, three, four a year in different locations, and this one was PAX Australia. So PAX focuses on games. Video games, tabletop games, game design, game development, and... Let's be honest, of the two of us, which one would you say is the bigger gamer? (laughs) Okay, yes, it is me. Yet, surprisingly, which one of us dominated a tournament and is now a medal winner? Yeah, I thought we weren't going to bring that up. Yes, I went into about four tabletop tournaments every day and got knocked out the first round of every single one. But what happened with you? On the very last day of PAX, in the dying hours... I just rolled like a mother flipping champ and took out King of Tokyo. Which the guy who looks after the tabletop area, Spike or Patrick is his actual name, that was actually his dream that we would be in the same tournament and you would win and I would lose. Yeah, it's a little weird when someone you barely know comes up to you and says, I hope you beat your husband. <laughs> but you know, who was I to dismiss the wishes of a well-meaning stranger? <laughs> Now, we didn't just play board games while we are there. We did try and do other things. What's something that stands out for you? As is tradition of PAX, there were certain highs and lows. So first off, I believe we really should say a big thank you to all the organisers of PAX who were absolutely fantastic. Organisers and the enforcers, they all do an amazing job. Special shout out to for the organisers who helped clear the path for us a couple of times. Um, We were travelling around packs with the wheelchair, which does make things a little bit more challenging. As you've seen on the Instagram, only one of us got a superhero entrance to buildings. (laughs) That really slowed us down in the morning. Us down? Alright, slowed slowed you down, which is my normal speed. (laughs) Yeah, so thank you again to all the organisers of packs. We did have a very good time. As mentioned before, I'm not the biggest games person, but I did see some really exciting ideas there. And... You know, as a not really a gamer game person, if you're getting me excited about something, you're doing something right. I will turn you into a gamer one day. I will get you to play games with me at least. Maybe not a gamer. Yeah, maybe. As is tradition at PAX, we started off by hitting the indie floor. And the indie floor is absolutely amazing. It's, it's Australia has some great developers out here. It's just a shame that there aren't more, more of them and even maybe some bigger studios like there used to be. Well, what I love too is I've just noticed from the outside over the past few years, there's been a real push with games where they're saying, hey, if there aren't games that you like, if you don't feel you're being represented in the traditional game industry, get into the game industry, make your own. 
And that's the real sense I took away from the indie floor this year was like people were making games they wanted to play and you really got that enthusiasm when they were talking mm. to you. And I think one of the people, Gil, who's making working on Odd Gods, that's what he was also saying. Like he wanted to go back to the old 90s style isometric Fallout type of game, but no one's going to make that anymore. So he just decided... He'll make it himself. Yeah, I'll have to be honest, you played a lot of games at PAX while I was quietly observing slash quietly turning down some of the games makers. Seriously, that was a bit odd, guys. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, and Odd Gods, I think, was one of the ones where you were the most excited I saw you. I got something... Uh, the day before we left, I got an email from them saying, hey, we're there, come and have a look at our game. The first day we were there, they had been troubles in the morning and then completely forgot about it until the last day. <laughs> now, Odd Gods... Okay, just as an observer, I would kind of describe it as it's kind of like being in an episode of Buffy. <laughs> like, you're in the 90s, you get to pick which archetype you're going to be. Are you a goth, a skater, a stoner? People interact with you in different ways depending on which character you've chosen. And there are some really nifty little elements to it as well. So aside from being a goth, you get to also pick, say, what your favourite type of music is. So if you're a goth that likes boy bands, it can really help you on some of the quests because you can make this connection with other players. Well, not other players because, you know, it's a one person, but like other characters. And off you go. So yeah, instead of like being like most RPGs where you pick up picking like a warrior or a spellcaster or something like that, you do go out and pick genres from the 90s. And they've got things like the skateboarders, the goths, the slackers, the grunge rockers, the nerds. Like all those things that most of us would remember the 90s for. Me, slightly less so. <laughs> but as anyone who's heard Luke talk about his music taste before on the podcast knows... I think Luke kind of thinks he's still in the 90s. The 90s, end of 90s, beginning of 2000s was the best time for music and it should never do anything else after that. Okay, old man. Bring back Nancy Vandal. I don't think they've officially gone away. So, sorry Fox Trotsky <laughs> if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so this just does remind me of... Now, this is a while off, so we're not expecting this game to come out next week or anything, but they've got some good experience working on this and I'm really looking forward to this coming out when it does. Now at the moment it's probably only going to be a PC Steam game. They're maybe probably waiting to see how it does go and then they might think about Xbox or consoles pretty much which this says how much I actually am looking forward to this game. If it only comes out on PC I'm still going to play it. I'm not going to say buy it because i buy everything even if I don't play it but this one this is true <laughs> <laughs> like my Steam library 600 games and I've played maybe five of them but this will be a game that I do play so yeah Gil from the Odd Gods development team we're looking forward to it buddy send us an email when you've got a release date yes. we are keen yes I... also Luke will do a cameo slash cover of any 90s song you choose provided it's by a band that played in Sydney in the late 90s early 2000s it won't be good but i'll do it <laughs> <laughs> okay so speaking of musical games not really it's an awkward segue let's just roll with it um another game that i really liked was spin rhythm yes because it's everything you liked about DJ Hero, but were too afraid to admit to everyone who hated DJ Hero. I don't know why everyone hated DJ Hero so much. I really enjoyed it, and I really wish they would make more, because I still got my, my decks there waiting to go. But this might let me do it again. And it's actually probably a little bit more interesting and complex, and then also I found it 
easier than DJ Hero? It's weird. Okay, so to give people the full rundown, Spin Rhythm is very much your classic rhythm game. So you've played Guitar Hero, you've played Band band Hero, Band Guitars, Guitar Band, whatever. <laughs> um, similar concept, screen, you've got the little colours coming towards you, tap in the same sequence, you're good to go. But what made this a little bit different was that they had modified a DJ deck, like I... an actual DJ deck, mm. that you could then use as a controller with this game. And I just picked it up really quickly and it just was doing quite well. Didn't quite get up to hard while I was there, but uh, I, I think they impressed the guys. That did not stop Luke from trying. <laughs> I did try a few times. It did not go well, but I did. It's This is one that, this is also not out. I'm not sure when they're looking coming out, but this one I'm actually looking to buy DJ Deck so I can play it. I believe they said March or April next year. Um, what the team is trying to do, though, is at the moment their tunes are a little bit limited, so they want to widen that up a little bit more. Mm. Obviously, if you're not a fan of EDM or other electronica, this may not be the best game for you. But let's be honest, if you love a good rhythm game and you love like a novelty controller, definitely worth a look. Now, you also don't need the controller to play it. That that's, is true. That's another thing. Like you can, I think they even had it set up on a phone and mouse... This is pretty much designed to play with a mouse. Mm, but I will admit, like, the tactile nature of actually having a spin wheel, mm. it it really made you get more into the game. Yep. So, yeah, this will be one that I'm definitely picking up. I think we're still a while off away from the release. I've only been working on it a few months. But then they're still trying to work out maybe to see if they can try and get some big... What's the word I'm looking for? People who play music. Artists! <laughs> to maybe come on board and maybe play some stuff with them. Although, them. creators of Spin Rhythm, not going to tell you how to run your business, but this would actually be a really, really cool game to team up. Like, you guys are an indie studio, why not team up with some indie musicians? I think they have. Yeah, they have, but you know, <laughs> they should take this idea and roll with it. Yeah, yeah, but I think to if they can get sort of that big name on there to attach to the project, that will sort of give them a boost. Dead Mouse, we know that you're a keen listener of Multiple <laughs> Nerdgasm, so, you know... Send us an email, podcast at nemultiplenerdgasm.com, and we'll put you in touch. God, I do love rhythm music games. I really do. But, as we found out in the Blushbox arena, you also love a game with a novelty controller. I was... Okay, so I know what game you're talking about now, and this is just... Everyone's seen and heard of this game, I think. Genital Jousting. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, just one more time. That is Genital Jousting, not Jenna told jousting. What That's I a different game. It's what I said, sort of. Matt, if you're editing this week's episode, would love a remix of that. <laughs> <laughs> the genital jousting is the one where you play a penis that's trying to get into a butt. That's pretty much the okay, game. Okay, that makes it sound like your opponent is a penis. We should make it clear that in this game, everyone is a penis. And everyone has a butt. Yeah. Um, for anyone who's having difficulty visualising this, just jump on our Instagram page. I think we posted a pic of Luke playing this game and thoroughly enjoying himself explaining the controller to people. Yeah, the, the controller that they'd set up was a custom controller. It was a giant black dildo. Yeah, there were a few guys in the blush box area who I think had a bit of an awakening of sorts. They were, they were a bit tentative at first, but people got really into it. It just felt really natural to me. <laughs> And I, I, it was fun because I was, I was there for a few games. I got to teach people how to play. And I think a few people, when they initially got there, were a 
bit hesitant to jump on and start playing, but that was mostly because a slightly tipsy redhead was yelling at them. Just grab it, just grab it. They'll give you a fresh condom if you need. <laughs> that was nice. They actually did have condoms on the dildos for health and safety reasons, and a lot of hand sanitizer. <laughs> yeah. Do you think they were used? Used for what? The dildos. They would have been clean, right? Yeah. They're just for the controller, right? Oh, God, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. I'm happy mine had a condom. Be safe out there, people. They all did. Oh, yeah, PAX is, PAX is quite interesting in that way because the big message of PAX is really is that games are for everyone mm-hmm. and that there is a game for everyone. Yes. Now, late night PAX is traditionally in the tabletop tourney area yep. where you can do things like late night werewolf, cards against humanities, and essentially play the kinds of games that you don't want the kids who are on the floor during the day to sort of see. But that's what I found quite interesting was the upstairs area where the blush box area was, was a whole area of adult games. And there's adult, not necessarily in the sense of nudity. It could also be in adult themes. And I just found it really kind of cool in a way that they were willing to open it up to those kinds of games as Mm. well. I did get a bit of a shock when we did walk in there and went, wow, they have the... Now, it wasn't 18 only room, so yeah... There were different wristbands for the weekend, so there was, for black was 18, red was 15, and I think if you didn't have one, you just, oh, we don't care about you. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) Wristband system was, of course, incredibly important because of the South Park fractured butthole exhibit that took up a surprising portion of the floor, actually. But sort of hidden away at the same time, so no one could see what was happening. Very clever use of floor-to-ceiling screening. (laughs) Now, I didn't actually play that while I was there. The reason for that, and I was actually talking to one of the guys who worked at Ubisoft about it, because he'd gone, have you given it a try? And I went, no, because I've completed the game 100% already. I actually enjoyed that game, though, so... Yeah, it took you, what, three, four days of playing? Three days. Yeah, and all I could hear was just you laughing from the lounge room, so... (laughs) Just like watching an episode of South Park, it really is... Let's see. I'm just having a look because I did jot down a whole bunch of things that we thought were pretty cool. We can talk about my girlfriend. Yeah, that's true. I I picked up while I was there. I'm very proud of this. Actually, I'm not proud of it. I am. She was gorgeous. On the very first day, I ran into this gorgeous, gorgeous... Actually, I have to stop you for a second. Pax, one of their really strict rules is no booth babes. I think booth babe is a gender neutral term. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So one of Fax's strictest rules is no booth babes. And I will be honest, I think they flew a little too close to the sun with this one. She just had gorgeous blue eyes, sort of a bit darker skin, and uh, four legs and big floppy ears. Yeah, I'm talking about a dog. <laughs> um, it was actually quite good. Uh, Destiny 2 doing some advertising, they actually teamed up with the Australian Working Dog Rescue. They had working dogs there that were available for adoption, I believe. Okay, I also need to make this really clear because, like most of the listeners right now, I'm guessing, you're thinking, okay, how the heck does that work? Because you've got working dogs in a huge convention. And to be honest, when I read the press release that they sent us in advance, I was a bit hesitant. I was thinking, oh, do I forward this to RSPCA Victoria? Um, but when we got there, what they'd done was they'd set the dogs up in the thoroughfare outside the convention hall. So the dogs had heaps of space. Um, they had handlers with them at all times, and they were rotated constantly. So don't worry, everyone. The dogs were well looked after. Yeah, they didn't spend like 15 hours out on the floor with lots of people around. 
But they were there to sort of also to raise money, raise awareness, and I will be honest, I may have made out with Nimble. For anyone who would like to see some of these photos, please email podcast at multiplenerdgasm.com <laughs> as there is an intriguing one where you can't tell if it's Luke or the dog's tongue. Whose do you think it is? I didn't ask at the time, mm-hmm. and I think marriages need a little bit of mystery. <laughs> That was one of the charities that was really well represented at PAX. The other one, of course, being Child's Play. Now, I actually really like Child's Play, and I actually ended up buying two towels from them. I know I could have probably spent more, but I didn't actually have enough money. I'd already spent lots of money on the weekend. But Child's Play is a really great initiative. It's to sort of help sick kids. Sick kids and also kids who have mental health issues. Mm -hmm. I don't think we really need to give them too much of a boost because they do fantastic work. One of the things I actually quite like though, though, advertising one of the ways that they help kids, and it's actually something that I use in my everyday, and that's for pain therapy. Now, what it is, is with pain therapy, it's you play games to take your mind off the pain. So you'll play a game that distracts you from what's actually happening, and it really works. So that's what I quite like that they do. And if anyone would like to contribute to Luke's ongoing pain relief therapy and help him explore alternative therapies, please become a Patreon sponsor. <laughs> You can do this by visiting patreon.com and searching for Multiple Nerdgasm. As little as $1 an episode will really help Luke. Or, you know, save up your pennies, donate them to Child's Play. Yeah, the more games I play, the less I take painkillers and alcohol. Yeah, but I also get to hear a lot of whinging and whining about the games, so yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, speaking of games, Luke's gameplay, I think it's time we address the elephant in the room of what else happened during PAX. Okay, as a lot of you may know, I've had a really good achievement streak going. So, for 907 days, I had an Xbox achievement. Every day. At least one. I'd like to point out that during this time, we got married, we went on honeymoons, we travelled overseas, he was working full-time. Yeah, this is like yeah, this included like two trips to America, Japan, weddings, like it, it was a lot. And then, on the first day of PAX... I just forgot. Yep. It's gone. 907 days. And now I'm back down to two days. And it's got to start again. So depressing. I know it means nothing and I don't get anything for it, but it really felt good. I was going for that thousand days. And yeah, so um, see, I'll see you again in a thousand days and I'll see. we'll see if I've made it. Wait, you're going to see me again in a thousand no, days? No, we're going to see the... I'm going to, the listeners will hear us in another thousand days and they'll find out if I made it. Okay, so listeners, if you hear me on the podcast before a thousand days has gone past, <laughs> something's happened to Luke. I actually forgot that happened. I keep forgetting about it and then it comes back to me and it's really sad. And while we're on the sad note, we should mention the other great disappointment of PAX, which was the oysters. Now, this was not the fault of PAX... The PAX organisers, any of the enforcers, any of the fine folks we met anywhere at PAX, including the wonderful people in the Diversity Lounge. Forgot to give you a shout out before, but Diversity Lounge, I love you but still have a small bone to pick with you. Someone in the Diversity Lounge made these amazing biscuits that you were selling to help support Child's Play. I purchased, let's not say how many, let's (laughs) let's just say I was hungry. Or how much you donated to get them. Hey, hey. Hey, I was told to coin a donation. I had no coins. I only had notes. What do you want me to do? Anyway, so there I was, trying to be a big roller. Didn't go well. 
Similar to when I participated in the charity auction towards the end of PAX and realized when someone bid $450 for a dice set, I was like, oh, I'm a bit outmatched here. <laughs> I do not have $750 for an Xbox One onesie. My bone, I would have. <laughs> my bone I need to pick is you made some delicious biscuits, but there was no recipe card. So if anyone from the Diversity Lounge or any bakers want to get in touch and send me their recipes for how one makes raspberry double choc biscuits, podcast at multiplenerdgasm.com. I know I keep saying the email address, but I'm just hoping someone will respond <laughs> with that recipe. But sorry. Back to the oysters. the oysters. This has been a tradition that started at the very second PAX in Australia because the first one wasn't actually at the entertainment center but the second year we went and next to pax is the melbourne public and every year they have had dollar oysters on the friday for lunch buckashuck buckashuck as it is colloquially known and started off with matt and jenna and then it's extended and it's gone with my new friends that we've come along the way eric clara and chris no they only went this year they never got to experience buckashuck but yeah, anyway, it's continued, and I would get there on the f- at lunch, and I would go, give me a dozen oysters, I'd sit down, have a drink, and then buy probably a couple dozen more. And again, I'd like to make it clear that, like many other things Luke does, this was a solo effort. Mm. Just a man, an oyster, and a I, shuck. I did share with you. Yeah, one year I was granted three oysters, then told if I wanted more, I should buy my own dozen, which Luke then ate half of. Yes. I like oysters, and they're a great price. But no, this year we went there, and there's no bucket shock anymore. There is also an international oyster shortage and severe issues with. I don't care about any of that. Oyster farming. I want my cheap oysters. That's (laughs) yeah. I don't care about the shortage. Just give me my oysters. Some places were charging like four bucks for an oyster. That's ridiculous. I don't even want anything fancy like Kilpatrick. Just give me a natural oyster. Why don't you just, I don't know, catch the train out to the oyster farm and dive into the ocean with your own shocking knife? I want it to come to me. (laughs) I'm not going to do effort. (laughs) And this was clear when we played a game called Party Crashes, wherein somehow I was better at it than you once I figured out which character I was on the screen. Yep. So, yeah, that took you a little while to work out. Yeah, also, um, indie developers of PAX... Your games are good fun. I love that you let everyone have a go, but maybe tell people which one they are because it gets really confusing. <laughs> uh, and to be fair, everyone else had an Xbox controller at this booth while I had a PlayStation 4 one. Yep, and I wouldn't. I don't know how to use them. They're terrible. Yeah. Um, I'm a, everyone knows I'm an Xbox person. That's why I'm used to those controllers. I just don't get Sony controllers. Well, it was weird because when I hold a Nintendo Switch, I feel like I've got giant hands, which possibly I do. People have always been polite, though. But the X, sorry, the PlayStation controllers. I don't know. I think even my hands are too big or too small. It's just not a good fit. I think it's I also don't... the fact that because you, when we, you normally do play it here, it's with an Xbox controller, so you do get used to the sticks being slightly different. Luke, let's be honest. When I play here, it's with a computer mouse and keyboard. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Party Crushers. Now, this is from the guys who made Party Golf, who actually um, had a chat with last year, if you remember. They've made a new game, uh, Party Crushers. So it's in much that same style with that bright colours and everything and super customisable. It's only sort of relatively new, so they're still just starting to work on it. Going really well so far, and I'm looking forward to getting my hands on a copy when it does come out. Now, at the moment, it is only going to be a PC game. 
And I think they were telling us they're going to go into early access soon and sort of build it up with the community. To be honest, I'm a little surprised that they're going with PC first. I understand, like, you know, distribution and platform issues and all that kind of thing. This strikes me as a kind of, well, like it says, it's a, it's a fun party game. It's a- I want three friends in a room, everyone with a controller, ideally matching controllers, <laughs> knowing who they are. Yeah, maybe get the old split screen happening. Yeah, it's all for that couch co-op play, which... They did great with Party Golf, and yeah, this will work. And now, I can tell you why they're going PC first. Cheap. Uh, pretty much. It costs a lot of money to get past sort of the certification on Sony and Xbox. So it is sort of just cheaper to get your game out into Steam. So it's a great place to sort of, especially when you're going to early access, so you don't have a full game to release yet that's the place you want to build it you want to sort of get it on steam build it up then and then once it's ready to go get it onto other platforms and i think what they'll do is they will probably do what they've done with party golf and they'll probably start off with steam and then follow off onto they've gone to playstation uh, nintendo and it's coming out in the xbox one soon so once that comes out in the xbox one i will be buying it and we will be playing it i need those achievements we'll see <laughs> So yeah, with Party Crashers, one of the game types that we played was just you're driving along a course and you got to just try and not be last. Otherwise, because if you fall behind too much, you die and it's just the last man standing wins. Other great thing about this game is the fact that it's not the same game every time. That's true. Um, and there were a few indie game developers playing with this kind of format where it would be a similar game in concept, like objective remain the same, but they really switched it up when it came to how different levels felt and things like that. And a game that I actually, I liked way more than I thought I would that did something similar was Brief Battles. Ah, yes. So in this one, you're like a little nubby character and it's your classic kind of Mario Smash Brothers kind of thing where you're trying to duke it out, you don't want to fall off the platforms, but you put on different kinds of magical underwear that give you different abilities. And what I really liked with this one is that they had fun with that kind of format. And there were just little things, like your little nubby characters could actually climb walls and mm. could stick to ste- ceilings and things like that, which straight away opened up a whole lot more of the maps. Because I was having a chat with someone who's gone, you got to go check this game out, and they've gone, it's like Super Smash Brothers. The second they've said that, I've sort of tuned out. I'm not a fan of Super Smash Brothers. Yeah, your exact words were... Why do I want to play more of that? I didn't. Yeah. I don't like it. <laughs> and then when I actually, when I found what he was talking about, because I found out that I actually spoke to these guys last year, and I actually did enjoy it. And this game's come a long way in a year. They're actually at the stage where they're starting to think about releasing. Um, so even so much that they've actually got a Kickstarter going. So we'll have a link in the show notes to this. I've been told I'm not allowed to kickstart anything anymore. Is that still the case? Or can I please kickstart this? We can discuss this one off air. Okay. Um, this is mainly because you buy stupid things. Yes, I've brought many <laughs> stupid things on Kickstarter. But this isn't stupid. <laughs> and the great thing about this one is they're aiming for a Windows Steam slash Steam release and also Xbox One. So that means yep. achievements. Yep, they know their market. Yep. And their market is Luke. <laughs> Also, I would like to do a shout out um, to the lovely gentleman who sat behind me while I was having a go at brief battles, trying to yell out advice. <laughs> As mentioned before, I'm not the biggest 
gamer gamey person. I do know how to hold the controller though, but you know, thanks man. At a certain point he realized that him yelling advice wasn't leading to me actually doing any better at all. <laughs> so he just started cheerleading, which I appreciate. Yeah, that's all you need. <laughs> So, once we discuss this off the air, I'll probably be chucking them $20 so I can get the oh, wait, Windows wait, or wait, Xbox wait, wait. version. So, so, before we discuss it, Luke has already come to his conclusion. Well, I'm not going to go the $14 version because that one will give me the Steam one, whereas I need no, no, the Xbox this, one. This is exactly what you did at Hand of Fate 2 as well. Before you even played it, you just turned to me and you are like, it's going to be good. It's going to be amazing. I'm so excited. It's going to be the best game ever. And then what happened? It was a great game again. Um, I played through the... I didn't play through the first one. I played the first one and I struggled a bit. I loved the idea of the game. I loved the game, but it was just too hard and the achievements were a bit insane. So I actually stopped playing it before I could finish it. Would Rage quit the inappropriate verb? Yes. But for Hand of Fate 2... It's almost as if they reached into your brain, read your feedback, completely ignored it, and just made a great game. <laughs> this is what they've done. They've actually listened to the community. Because the community for gamers is really good at giving feedback. Unfortunately, they're quite toxic at giving feedback some of the time. And guys, you need to stop doing that. It's great to make your opinion heard, but you've got to do it in a nice way. Um, yeah, we had a chat with a few indie designers about this, and by guys, we we mean people generally. It's not a gender thing. There, like, it's just about being able to give feedback about the product, not mm. necessarily the person who created it at the same time. In other words, please stop writing such hurtful things about Dan <laughs> to the inbox. <laughs> he does read them. With Hand of Fate, it's. It's like a it's a tabletop game and they actually are releasing a tabletop version of this game but it's a deck building game so you collect cards as you go and this is sort of how you play the game you by turning over cards your guy goes there and the cards will give you things like locations special events weapons shields powers build up and increase as you go along and then once you do get into the battle thing it's like a normal hack and slash so you're controlling your character running around trying to kill the enemies that are there. It's like Yu-Gi-Oh meets Gwent. <laughs> it yeah. is not in any way, but Hand of Fate, if you, Hand of Fate 2, if you wish to use that tagline, <laughs> let me know. <laughs> I'm here. Yeah, the second one, they've just taken on a lot of feedback that they had from the first, and they've just made... They've just improved upon what was already a great idea. So the game's not doesn't ramp up in difficulty quite as much as Hand of Fate did, which is good because a lot of people didn't finish it because of those last few missions that actually quite got hard. The other thing is achievements. And this is what they actually said. Like They've listened to the achievement community and they didn't know how strong the achievement community was. Yeah, achievements Achievements are a surprisingly big deal that isn't a big deal. I think it's just adding that extra layer of motivation, to be honest. Because I... let's face it, most of the time when you're playing like those kinds of games... It's really more of a solo effort. No one's there to go, yay, you finished that thing or you you managed to unlock that level and all this kind of stuff. But achievements are kind of like a nice public-ish kind of way of saying, yes, I did this thing. They have ruined gaming for me because now I won't play games unless there are achievements, but I still love them. Although you were saying the other day that now that the streak's been broken... 
you're thinking that maybe you'll have more time for essentially world exploration in your games. Yeah, because I, I do play everything still, and I do spend hours completing games, but there are some achievements now that I just, or even games that I sort of stopped playing just because it was going to be too hard and too grindy to get achievements, like um Borderlands and things, which I sort of finished a game. There's still a lot more to do, but... Too hard to get an achievement, so I don't go back to it. But now the achievement streak is gone, I can maybe look at that. Yeah. Except that the achievement streak's back, I'm back at two days. Is it? <laughs> is it a streak, though? Like, if you're at two days... Honestly, I think we need to throw this open to the people. The people of the nation. Any nation. Your nation. How long does something need to be going to get a streak? Because Pokemon Go tells me, when I spin a Pokestop for the first time in a couple of days, it says... Yay, you've got a one-day streak. And I'm like, well, no, I've done something once. No, I think you've got to do it at least two times. Yeah, see, for a streak, like if it's a streak of victories or something like that, I'm thinking four or five at a minimum. Otherwise, you know, you've got a win, a couple of wins, a hat trick. Then we're sort of heading into streak area, like you've shown that it's a repeated activity. Well, give me three more days and I'll be up to five. <laughs> now, with Hand of Fate 2, there is an actual release date for this one, and it's next week. It comes out on November 7th. Yes, so it may not be next week by the time you listen to this, but if it's November 7th, congratulations, you can play it right now. So I've just dated the episode, which is okay, I sort of dated it, dated it when we when I said we came back from PAX. The other thing too is if you're interested in the Hand of Fate board game, I believe you can actually play that right now. And no. Oh, not yet. That's no, not released that's why I actually wanted to try and give that a go. That was uh, a Kickstarter. Oh. And it, it made a lot of money. Yeah. Because <laughs> there was a bit of confusion about that on the floor at PAX because some people thought it was just a computer... Well, not computer, but, you know, like just an electronic game mm. or just a board game. So the, <laughs> a couple of people actually heard them say things like, oh, man, it's such a total rip. Like, they just took the name. <laughs> and I'm like... Maybe no, not. they actually <laughs> working together on that, and I have heard great things about that board game though. Uh, one of our friends, Niall, gave it a go, and he says it was really good. So I do want it, but that was Kickstarter, and I'm allowed to give money to Kickstarter. And for me, I'm not a big fan of the deck building board game, so I think it's going to be a pass for me. I don't actually think. <laughs> See, that's just it. We haven't played it. But I did, don't know. Can't talk from, about it. Yeah, from what we understand. <laughs> I've heard that, yeah, people are enjoying it, though. Now, um, yeah, oh, one other thing we saw, which I actually did buy some of this, and Matt and Jenna, you have a present coming once it's arrived. Look surprised. Yes, even though I'm about to just talk about it now. Tabletop tokens. These things are an amazing idea, and I think... Ooh, ooh. Can I, can I do the little spiel I prepared in my head for this? Yes, you can. Does this sound familiar? You're playing Dungeons & Dragons, but you can't keep track of all your conditions. Are you blind? Are you paralysed? Are you charmed? Who knows? Now the answer will be you. Now, these tabletop tokens are such a simple idea. Honestly, I'm surprised no one has thought of it before. Someone might have, but we've never seen it before at least. Okay, so a tabletop token kind of looks like teeny tiny little half globes of essentially a very high quality kind of button. Mm. And they're beautifully printed with, you can get them with conditions on it, health markers, power up markers. You can even get them customized with your character's face on them. 
So if you're playing a game such as Dungeons and Dragons or Arkham Horror was another one mm-hmm. where they showed it for, something where you're juggling a lot of conditions and it can get very tricky. Maybe you don't want to mess around with miniatures. Or even if you just you got a game that does use like cardboard tokens and you want to upgrade to make them a yeah. little bit nicer. Yeah, these things were fantastic and also a really, really good price. They are a fantastic price. So what we've brought, um, Matt and Jenna, and we actually brought a couple other people with this, we brought the Adventure Plays Status Conditions set. So this has got all the things like um, petrified, blinded, grappled, like charmed, like all the type of things that you'll come across in a role-playing game or Dungeons & Dragons. And so that way, when a person's playing, you can actually you can actually put the token on that player, so you know what they've got, so everyone can see what's happening. Similar to the strategy employed in King of Tokyo to take out that medal. <laughs> yeah. So, in the interests of disclosure, I want to make it really, really clear that we are not sponsored by tabletop tokens. We just honestly saw this product, loved it. If you're interested, we will post a link up. Yeah, but it's just tabletoptokens.com. And yeah, believe me, go there, have a look. We got all these tokens for the condition for $15. And honestly, the quality of these, they look like they should be worth more. They are also water resistant and durable. So if you play with that idiot who keeps spilling water on your board. I did it once and it wasn't water. And and to be honest, that's probably how your cardboard tokens got wrecked to begin with. Mm. Finally. (laughs) Finally, there's a solution out there. Okay, well, I'm also thinking of solutions. And by solutions, I just mean interesting ideas. Microsoft. This was another example of something so simple but so clever that I absolutely loved it. Microsoft were promoting their new game, Sea of Thieves. I'm looking forward to playing this now. Now, the Melbourne Convention Centre, for those who do not really know much about it, is in an area called the Docklands. And they just so happened to have an old-timey sailing ship. So what Microsoft did was they said, you want to try a new game of called Sea of Thieves where you're a pirate and an old-timey sailing ship? What if you played that on a mother-flippin' sailing ship? So we lined up for this and then we got to sit out on the deck for a little while, enjoying the, the sun, watching the boat rock. The boat does not rock very much, it is in a harbour. It has not sailed in many years. And then we finally got our hands on Sea of Thieves, what I played, you watched. Now, with this one, now, I've probably spoken about this on the podcast before, or if not, you probably do understand that this probably normally wouldn't be my type of game because it is an online-only game, and it is something that you really need to play with people. Yeah, so it's those things Luke doesn't like in that he has to cooperate with others. And I think Luke... there's a great photo of me being captain when we are playing and me yelling at my other teammates. Okay, I'd like to make it clear, again, as the Microsoft people told him multiple times, there is no captain. You cannot run on the deck. Well, run. You cannot just climb on the deck of the old sailing ship and yell, I call captain. Hey, everyone said okay. <laughs> everyone just went with it. Because we were first ones on there and we were wearing our matching podcast shirts, I think everyone thought we were, you know, staff or something at the event. <laughs> um, this confusion actually continued while Luke was playing, actually. It was really funny. Because the way Microsoft set it up was you start off on the deck of this sailing ship, you get a quick intro of like, hey, we're releasing this game soon. Ahoy. Off we go kind of thing. Then everyone climbs below decks. And they set up 12 different stations. So four people in each team. 
So there were three teams, and with all 12 people were in the same world together, but they were crewing three different ships. Mm. So while Luke was playing and shouting instructions and things like that, other people on Luke's team kept turning around to me, and they were just like, uh, excuse me, miss, <laughs> are we doing this right? Why can't I kill him? And so I was just like, oh, they've turned friendly fire off for this demonstration. <laughs> but your ship's doing really well. <laughs> so we actually did, I think we were the only ones to get the treasure. Actually, that's true. Due In... to my great leadership, I might add. So this really is a true co-op game where, just for example, to get underway on the ocean, you've got, well, in this case, you had four people. Mm-hmm. So you had to... Raise the anchor. Yep. Set the sails. Yep. Trim them. Yep. Angle them. Yep. Off you go with someone steering. And the other fun thing is if you were steering the boat, which by the way does not mean you were captaining Luke, we've got serious issues with your knowledge of sailing. <laughs> so that way, like the person who is steering the boat. Which was me as captain. Cannot actually see which way the boat's going. So you really need to communicate with those other players. And similarly, like the more people who are raising or lowering a sail or working the anchor, the faster you got underway. Mm. And maybe it was the yelling, maybe it was the threats of abuse, or maybe it was because they mistakenly thought Luke was someone. But Luke's team actually got underway really quickly. Yep, we got the sails up, the anchor up, and we are just on our way. There's no guide marks on the screen. So most of the time in these adventure games, like Witcher 3 even, when you get lost, there's usually something that hints where you're meant to go. Not with this. It was really that open world feel. Like there were, you have a map, a compass, and you can go to any island out there you want. We could have, we could have just not done the quest. We could have just gone searching for the other characters to try and kill them. Yeah. So it, I really have to again applaud Microsoft's ingenuity about this because the Sea of Thieves experience they didn't really advertise it that heavily in packs. And at first I was like, why? Like you kind of knew it was happening, but it's... there were very few clear signs but then i figured it out Mm -hmm. it's because it is such a big lush open world i timed it they gave everyone playing 30 minutes now that that probably doesn't sound like much because we've all been there you've spent four hours playing a single game Mm. but at a convention where your goal is to try and get as many people through as you can 30 minutes is very luxurious yeah 30 minutes and then you can only do 12 at a time yeah now see if these it is something where there hasn't really been a lot about it in the years it's been being developed. And now you always see it in their promos and stuff, but there's no... To be honest, I did think it was going to be the next Assassin's Creed. I just get confused. All the posters look very similar. <laughs> but thankfully, it's not the new Assassin's Creed. It's actually a new game in its own right. And I wasn't going to get this, but after playing it, I'm really hoping that once it does come out, and they are looking early next year, so they're saying first half they won't give a date or a month but they're saying it's definitely not going to be like oh. june or anything no microsoft man gave me the wink and it was like april Ooh. so we'll see so if we're looking at an april release i do want to get it and i want dan and matt to get it and then i want us to find a time once a fortnight to sit down and play it for a couple of hours however depending how open world it is listeners if you encounter luke in this game remember he called Captain. I am Captain. You do what I say. Luke also knows nothing about sailing. Go that way. But then again, neither did Luke's team. Because at one point, the Microsoft man next to me was like, yeah, guys, if you just head toward, like, if you head port, and they were like, we need to go to a port? I'm not drinking. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I go straight for alcohol. 
But another co-op game that we also took a bit of a look at that Luke is already a diehard fan of were our favourite friends at Death Squared. Um, I just... The guys at SMG Studios, we just love them. I don't know why, and this is even Matt and Jenna, even their single-player phone games, like One More Jump and things, they're just... They're great games. I really love what they do. Um, so we ran into them again, and Death Squared, we still need to sit down and play that. I still want to play that. Now, having a chat to them, they, they are working on something new, but I could not get out of them what they're playing. <laughs> I tried to... Yeah, they were really cagey. Which is interesting, because a lot of the indie people we spoke to couldn't wait to tell... Like, some of them... I'll be blunt. People, you haven't finished the game you're working on now, but some of them were already starting to say, like, oh yeah, once this is done, we're going to get started on this, and then we're going to do this. <laughs> and I'm like... Whoa. A lot of energy, a lot of enthusiasm. Perhaps a little too much energy and enthusiasm, but by that stage of packs, at least 50% of your blood is caffeine and sugar anyway. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, I, I if you haven't checked out Death Square, definitely give that a try. Or check out one of their mobile games. I'm going to have to find out this guy's name. <laughs> I'm really bad. I should know it because... I know him, he remembers me when Matt and Jenna ran into him at PAX, when they went to PAX East, he remembered me over there, and it's just, he's a nice guy, makes some great games, and that's why I always just want to give them a plug. He also gave Luke a a set of stickers that he could put on the chair, so... Yeah, yeah. I now have new stickers on my wheelchair. They're pretty, they're death cubes, because Hannah thinks that he's named wrong and it shouldn't be squared. And this is an example of being able to criticise an issue and not a person. (laughs) (laughs) The No, the people at Death Squared, okay, I've played your game, it is really, really fun. It is a puzzle game, I think most people have probably already had a bit of a play of it. If you haven't, do check it out. Mm-hmm. Um, it does slightly annoy me because it is 3D, you do move in all three dimensions, yes. but it's called Squared. I feel it should be <laughs> Death Cubed, but now that I think about it, the Death Cube sounds kind of like an octagon or some sort of fight arena. Mm. So, you know what? Maybe it's time to admit that Death Squared know a little bit more about games marketing than I do. Yeah. With my complete experience of zero. Yeah, I do. Yeah, we are going to sit down. We are going to play that. Because so, I need to get achievements on. I don't want to play it without you. It's going to test the relationship, that's for sure. <laughs> there is one more thing I want to give a little bit of a plug to that Ooh. I came across in the diversity What's this? Lab. So, like we were saying before, one of the big things when it comes to games is diversity. Mm-hmm. People want wider audiences of people want a wider variety of games. People feel that they're not being represented or they want to play more games with stuff that looks like them or just games that are cool for them. Mm-hmm. And so I just wanted to give a bit of a shout out to the Girl Geek group. Okay. So we met these wonderful people in the Diversity Lounge who were telling us about this initiative and it is not just for girls. Mm -hmm. It's for everyone really. But essentially, if you want to learn how to code in a happy, supportive environment where everyone just has a bit of a crack, get in touch with them. Give them a Google. Great people. I believe they also run some programming camps and things like that too. But it's not just limited to programming languages, it is also game design. And also in the diversity lounge, I was very pleased to see that there are some designers out there, again, working on that accessibility issue. Yep. We got to experience a game designed for people with hearing impairments. uh, I couldn't work out what I was doing in that game. (laughs) Okay, so it it wasn't designed for looks, but... 
I had a bit of a chat with the people who'd been working on it and said it was essentially a little bit of a system overlay they put in to help people with games such as The Witcher, for example, where if you hear a rustling, that can actually give you big hints about what's happening in the game. But Mm -hmm. obviously, if you're hearing impaired and you're not looking that way in screen, you're going to miss it. Yep. And similar to those wonderful people who do great stuff with colorblindness, for example, in games. Oh, while I'm thinking of accessibility in games, Lenovo, thank you very much for allowing us to very briefly join the Star Wars Jedi Academy. Now, this one was actually kind of interesting because, first of all, they were pretty open about the fact you were the first wheelchair user they'd had who actually tried using their VR headset. Yeah. Now... I don't quite know much about how VR works, but I figure you sort of calibrate it to the space you're in and also on the game. Yeah, this one was a little bit different than the normal typical VR. This one was actually augmented, so you could still see stuff behind you, so you could still see the room and everything around you, and then overlaid the lightsaber fight while I was fighting Kylo Ren, it laid that over the top of things. Yeah, so I watched a few people play this, and I also had a go myself, but I'm going to talk about that just shortly. So when I was watching other people play it, I noticed a lot of them were like stepping forward to block hits from Kylo Ren and things like that. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you were in a chair. Did did it make much of a difference for you? No, not at all. Because this, the way this game was set up, it was just the, the Kylo Ren was coming at you, so it was just about getting the lightsaber in the right position to block it. Yeah, because we've you've spoken about VR a few times on the podcast before. Because I know it's something you're quite keen on. Mm-hmm. But one of the issues with a lot of VR games is it's almost like it kind of wants to be... You know that little Xbox thing you have where it finds you in the room, like the dance games and oh, things like yes, that? Yes, the Connect. Yes! It's kind of like it wants to be the Connect with a headset, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Like, it still wants you to move through space in order to do stuff. And this is stuff I've said in the past. I need to get away from that. That's going to kill VR before it really gets started. Because people don't have the room to stand up and walk around. Oh, like any typical lounge room. You got your coffee table. Mm-hmm. And also, for some of the sheer computing power you might need, you do kind of want VR to be able to hook up to your PC. Yep. And who, who are you with your fancy office where you can go wandering around with a VR headset? Uh, this is where I think VR is going to be great for racing games, simulations. Um, I still think it can be good with other things, like Fallout VR is coming out soon, if not already out. Um, I think it could be great for a game like that, but they need to get away from the you need to stand or the, the moving its teleportation. Just, we're fine to have a controller in our hand and just play it and look around. Yeah, and I think for something like a racing game, especially if you're in your racing chair setup, mm-hmm. VR mixed with that would be incredible. However, I do have one issue with VR. As we discovered at the Lenovo desk, VR gives me incredible incredible motion sickness yes it was really embarrassing yeah like you were actually like didn't finish the demo off and then you were still i may need to go throw up now (laughs) so three vr is not for everyone so it's still one of those things if you are going to dip your toe into it try hands on with it first yeah and i've been having a bit of a think about it i'm trying to work out what caused that kind of reaction because i don't get seasick Mm -hmm. and so i was having a think about it and i realized It's the same issue I have with 3D glasses. Now, most of the time, if I'm seeing a 3D movie, I will layer the 3D glasses over my regular glasses, and I'm prepared that by the end, I'm not going to feel 100%. It's just that distortion of where your brain's telling you you are versus the thing. And I think that's kind of what the VR headset did to me, just 
absolutely magnified because I couldn't look around the VR, if that makes sense, to reorient myself. Mm. Yeah, this one was, yeah, it is going to be a good way for people to get their hands on VR for a cheap price. Now, this isn't one that you'd plug into your, your computer or console or anything like that. This one's actually for your phone. It runs off your yeah. phone. So it just connects up to your phone and away you go. And I think the the set comes out with the headset and a lightsaber, which is pretty cool, for like three ninety nine. Um, it's not out yet, but it's coming out soon, which... Oh, that was another thing, absolutely. Sorry to distract. Mm-hmm. Another thing I loved on the sales for Aerith Pack is the way people said their prices. Yes. Because, okay, I may not always be the brightest purple on the beach, <laughs> but... If you're telling me something's going to cost me three triple nine or three nine nine nine, um, I can kind of figure out. You're telling me a monitor is going to be four grand, now, four thousand smackaroos. Yeah, it's happened a few times when we were looking at some places selling like high end PCs and stuff. And a reason why I think they were doing like the three triple nine and the this PC will cost like we're looking at eight. 999 when it first comes out. The reason why they're saying that is I even think they're embarrassed telling the price. I think they are a little. We met a lot of people who were very keen to impress on us, like all the great graphics and all the things you could do with these machines and the rainbow lights. Seriously, rainbow lights are the new black when it comes to gaming consoles mm-hmm. and customizable PC setups. Like I've got color like mine's all bright and i can change the colors on it it's all fun but i just can't bring myself to spend that much money on a pc yeah and a lot of the people were saying like oh your seven triple nine is going to future proof you and i'm like yes but in the meantime is it possibly going to bankrupt me (laughs) yes yeah no that's yeah those and i don't think for the price would be sort of four times as much as what we paid for this computer. I don't think it's four times as better. Yeah, I'll be honest. I don't know enough about PCs, but I just know enough to have a little bit of sticker shock. When, mm. it... but yeah, when we're not going to be buying a $9,000 computer soon, but they are nice things. I do want to get a $4,000 monitor, but I'm not going to because I don't think a monitor should cost a car. No. Wait, no. where are you buying cars for $4,000? I've spent less money on cars. Oh, like second hand. Yes. Fifteenth hand. <laughs> no, that's they're not, they're not for me. I do need a 4K monitor though. I am going to have to get one. 4K as in $4,000 worth or 4K as, as in... in resolution. Okay. I do need a 4K monitor. I think I want to replace that monitor over there because that's the smaller one. Just Don't just stare at me. How about it's a you... need. How about you save your pennies, buy yourself a VR headset, and then you've got limitless monitor. Well, first of all, I've got to pay for my Xbox One X. That's true. Which comes out next week. Listeners, if you would like to contribute to Luke's ongoing (laughs) pain therapy. (laughs) Well, I think that about wraps up our PAX roundup. Yeah. So, all in all, PAX Australia is over for another year. If you are... If you've got the PAX bug, you're keen to go. I believe the next one is in PAX East, which is in Boston in March, early next year. Mm -hmm. Again, I'm not a gamer game person. I'd still had a really good time, though. Yep. And I'm a little disappointed I didn't get a chance to go to some of the panels. There were some really interesting-looking ones this year. Yeah, that's the thing. I'd love to go to some of those panels, but they also just sort of on the wrong time for the ones I want to see. Yeah, they really cut into your tournament time. I'm going to win a medal one year. Which is ironic because you don't actually play for that long in the tournaments. No, but I have to be there for the start and you never know. I could make it through and win it one year. You did make it through to the semifinals of Carcassonne, that is true. Yep. 
And then I l- just lost that one. Yep, whereas I now have two Crux medals. I have one medal, and it was a medal that I got a couple of years ago, and Spike, who runs the area, went, I should never have given you that pity medal. I did win a competition, but yep. it was pretty much a pity medal. Now, most of the tournaments at PAX, just for anyone who's not familiar with them, are games that actually... I don't know if leagues is the right word, but they are games you can compete at. Not professionally, but like people take them seriously mm. enough that if you wanted to enter a comp, you could. But with when you if you play with me, you can sit down not knowing the game, and I will teach you how to play. And as what happened with the very last game, I will coach you to victory against one of Australia's best players at it. Yeah, well, some of us just focused on our own strategy, which kind of makes me sound very cold. <laughs> but you know, it was the very last day of PAX. I wanted a medal. Yeah, while I really want a medal, I'm also there just to have fun. And if someone else gets to sit down and play a game that they've never learned played before, learn it and have fun and find a new game they want to play, I'm all for that. So with this in mind, next year I might try playing Splendor, a game I've played once and then rage quit because I didn't understand the tokens. And this is the kind of professionalism I would like to bring into the tournament. I could teach you how to play. I really enjoy Splendor. Yeah, we'll save it for the tournament. (laughs) Alright, so thank you for listening and tune in to our next special, which probably won't be in a year. We'll probably come up with something else. I think RTX is in February, which we might go to. And by we, Luke means himself, because as you heard earlier, I'm not allowed to to appear for the next 1,000 days. No, that's just to discuss the achievement. (laughs) 1,000 days, which is two years and seven months or something. (laughs) All right, bye. Bye, everyone.